Hey, this is the Rooted to Live podcast. This episode is number nine in the Path to Happiness series. And over this, the course of the series, we've been considering what Jesus says about the truly happy or the blessed life. It's really a life that is, uh, has a deep-rooted contentment. We find Christ teaching on such a life in Matthew chapter 5. This is what the scriptures say. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed or truly happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus, after teaching and sharing with his disciples and the multitude beyond the disciples about this kind of life, really a life that's impossible without the Spirit of God dwelling within, without the grace and mercy of God, it really shows us how much we need him because we cannot pull this kind of life off on our own. After sharing all these things, Jesus then gives a vision like solid images of the kind of influence truly happy people have, truly blessed people have, kingdom kind of people. Of course, most of us have had some kind of vision for our lives at one point. Think about back to when you were a kid and you were asked the question, what do you want to be when you grow up? When I was a child, my desire was to be some kind of professional athlete. At one point, it was baseball, maybe soccer. I probably held on to the idea of basketball the longest, even though I haven't grown beyond 5'9 since 8th grade. And Well, also, I, I didn't make enough baskets and not ha- not have enough wins or if coach just would have put me in fourth quarter I don't know anyway Jesus actually gives a few words a few word pictures about what happy people would be and his teaching here should drive us individually and collectively should inform the vision that we have for our lives to maybe have an exchange of our vision for God's vision for our life and so when asked what do you want to be when you grow up what would it be like to answer well what Christ has to share here in verse 13 of Matthew uh, or yeah, Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may be, see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Simply put, Christ's desire for his followers as influence to be used by God as uh, redeemed instruments in his hands to influence others so that they too might know Jesus and then be transformed. When you think about influencing others or how your life has been influenced, who are your greatest influences? Who comes to your mind? Is it maybe former teachers or was it your parents or grandparents? Uh, maybe it was a, an employer uh, that you had before. Um, a coach of some kind. Uh, the truth is that we all are influenced by 
people in our lives, for good or for bad, and then we too have such an opportunity. Every person is an influencer. Of course, the world we live in is is decayed. And so when we talk about influence, when Jesus uses the word salt here, and because the world is dec- decayed and the kind of influences that are in the world might not be well, the kind that Jesus has in mind, uh, the world needs salt. And the world is dark, and that's why it needs light. But let's first consider this idea of salt. Verse 13 of Matthew chapter 5. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. Salt was used for several things in the ancient world. Uh, It was very valuable. I once read, but honestly, I can't find any verification of this. Um, Some people teach that the Romans believed that nothing is of more worth than the sun and salt. And and that uh, the Romans used to... I've read before, but again, I can't find if this is really true, uh, said that Roman soldiers, their salary oftentimes included salt. So if you're a lousy soldier, some people might say this joke here, you weren't worth your salt. It's a nice thought, and maybe you can find the verification for me. Uh, What I do know is that salt adds flavor to food. Uh, I know something about that. It also can preserve food and can be used to bring purity to things or healing. One article I read said that there are now about 14,000 uses for salt. So what does Jesus have in mind when he says to his disciples and those who live this life, who are filled by the Spirit to live such a blessed life, what does Jesus have in mind when he says, you are the salt of the earth? A solid translation of verse 13 could be, the only salt of the earth is you. The you being plural. And Jesus' words may have been heard by multitudes, but its meaning is for those who are living verses 3 through 12. Christ's disciples are to have an influence worldwide. You are salt, that's true, but are you effective in this decaying world? What is the work of being salt in the world? Scholars offer several ideas uh, to preserve, purify. One pastor I read said he believes Christ is teaching about being an irritant in the world. I'm not sure about that. I would at least say being salt happens when you live a verse verses 3 through 12 kind of life. When, you, when you're poor in spirit and you're mourning uh, your, your sin and uh, when the meekness of God, the power and restraint comes forward and you're hungry and thirsty for righteousness, all these things that we see in Christ's teaching, I mean, you can't help but have influence or be a blessing to people around you. Hmm. And to some, this idea of salt um, it will be an irritant because uh, it creates tension in them for why you're living the way that you do. But salt actually has another effect. It, it creates thirst. A response to our being as salt in the world would be that others would become thirsty for Jesus. And interestingly enough, thirst in the Bible is oftentimes used to describe someone's passionate longing for God. You may know the scriptures as Psalm 42, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Or what about Psalm 63, verse 1? O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. We are invited to live our lives in such a way that others would then thirst for God. Some will want what we have in Jesus when we live by faith and reflect his character. So are you living by faith? In our cultural context, and wherever you are, whatever state or country you are in listening to this message, in your cultural context, you know, for many people, there's, uh, 
no fear of persecution. But maybe the country in which you live, there is persecution. Where I live, there's not a lot of fear and persecution for going to church or going to a Bible study, being nice or more moral. So it doesn't really require a lot of faith in facing opposition. So what would be steps of faith for you that would cause others to get a taste of Jesus? When we look at the faith demonstrated by Christ's followers in the Bible, it usually began with being surrendered. I think Jesus desires us to be a salt, creating a thirst for Jesus. But according to Jesus, sometimes salt loses its saltiness. That's what the text says. Salt that became like that was so common in Syria, Palestine, that you'd see salt scattered in piles on the ground because it had lost its flavor. Salt can lose its effectiveness as it becomes um, like diluted with impurity. We think of uh, like the Dead Sea. It's a salty sea, but it's like really gypsum. That's what it is. Jesus teaching about being salt defines the scope of his disciples' mission while giving a warning about being, about being deluded and distracted from work. I think about like for our family, think about your kids when you ask them to um, take on a chore or do something, a task at home while the TV is on or while they're looking at a screen. Uh, the distraction keeps them from the plan you have for them, keeps them from the job that you have for them. And we can be distracted in our mission. We can also be deluded in mission, wanting to live for Jesus in an area of life, but totally disregarding him in other areas. Maybe Sunday is the Lord's day in your mind, and so you give him one-seventh of your week. I'm not sure if that's really what Christ has in mind for being on mission, and maybe that's the idea of being deluded. Or like we give him uh, parts of our lives, um, but not others, as if like God compartmentalizes our lives with us. I'm not sure with him if it's like that. I think for him it's all or nothing. But Jesus continues then, of course, beyond teaching his disciples about being salt and being uh, an influencer in this world through being like salt to another somewhat of like a word picture here. Jesus continues by saying in verse 14, you are also the light of the world. A city and a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So we can get distracted in our mission, but also, uh, and we need to therefore be faithful. We have to be faithful to be an influencer, to, to create thirst in other people's lives, but also we're to shine. Jesus says being a light of the world. Light is a significant theme in Scripture, of course. It's, it's the comprehensive term referring to all of God's revelation. Um, the word light is used in also reference to himself and his word. Light is a figure of God's salvation coming into the world through Jesus. Now it's being used, this word light is being used of Christ's disciples who bring light to the world and sharing the gospel and in their conduct and relationship with others. So what does being a light mean? I would suggest it means displaying the truth and life of God in a dark world. Hmm. It's recognizing what you've received by the grace of God and then sharing that and showing that to the people around you, that you've received God's love and you've been adopted into his family, so you are light. That's a fact when you're in his family, but are you shining in the darkness? And Jesus gives two illustrations. A city on the hill cannot be hidden. And then he also says, Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand that it might give light to everyone in the house. Why is the life of believers, the life of followers of Jesus, those that are living the blessed or the, the happy life, why is that like being a city on the hill? Because of the collective light. When you look at those pictures maybe of uh, of 
uh, Google Earth or when you're looking at pictures from way above uh, the land looking down on different countries and you can see when they're taking pictures uh, at nighttime you might see just the glow of a city, the collective light together you can see even from you know high above the earth. That's the idea of being a city on a hill. But also Jesus says here that they're also like lamps. Ancient lamps were normally set higher on a projecting stone in the wall or on a on a lampstand, Jesus says. So the tiny light was sufficient for all in a single room. Light reveals, light illuminates, light gives warmth, light draws, light shows the way. And that's what God's Spirit does through His people. Reveals truth, illuminates darkness, gives warmth and encouragement, draws people in and shows the way. Here's a practical example of light shining as we look at the New Testament. Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. Paul writes, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that he did not run in vain or labor in vain. Hmm. Jesus says, in Matthew chapter 5 or 16, in the same way you let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. This word good, uh, kalos, uh, it means beauty, attractive. There's a beauty or an attractiveness about the works that we do. Jesus said, witnesses to these good works then turn and glorify God. Glorify here means to influence one's opinion about another so as to enhance the latter's opinion. In this case, the disciples are to speak and act so that the people who don't know God come to know God. How would those who don't know God know to glorify God as a result of good deeds? This implies both a life lived and a message spoken. I mean, living out Jesus' righteousness and speaking the gospel of Jesus, that's what we're talking about. It's visible. I've, won, I've heard folks say before, well, my faith is private. And, and That's not really the faith that we find in the lives of all the saints we see in Scripture. Faith is definitely personal. personal. There's no doubt about that. But it's never private. Faith is public. We are to proclaim the message of light in the dark world. Light is only good when it's visible. Peter teaches the same things to other believers later on in his ministry in 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of flesh, flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of his visitation. Where would Peter have heard that from? From Christ. Growing up, we used to sing a song at church. At least the children would. We never really sang it much as adults that I remember. But this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Shine it all over, then whatever city you're from. Uh, this little light of mine. Hide it under a bush. Oh no, I'm going to let it shine. Don't let Satan it out. I'm going to let it shine. <laughs> Do you remember that song? As we follow this Jesus, his light opens our eyes, and then others see us. Our, our eyes are open to see others as they are in desperate need of Jesus like us. And that light in us from Jesus allows them to see Jesus in us. So it's not really about us, but him. Is your version of Christianity actually drawing people to Jesus and glorifying God? What about in your faith community or your church family? Are you an effective light? 
What would cause us to not be as bright as we could be? What would be hindering our brightness? And just get honest with yourself. What is currently attractive about your faith in Jesus to others, uh, to other people in your neighborhood? Well, they just aren't that interested, you might say. Well, well, don't blame them. Uh, Crowds and so-called notorious sinners were at least intrigued with Jesus. The religious were not, but it seems like everyone else was. Is it possible that a reason why we might not be attracting people to Jesus is that we're only hanging out with other lamps? Is it that we don't really know anyone that doesn't have what we have in Jesus? What is your desire for your neighborhood, for your city, for your community, for your workplace? Sometimes we choose to live in a place and we uh, we think that's like the best that the world has to offer. Maybe the city you live in is really well known or you just love the place you live in. And sometimes we settle for a cheap version of Eden instead of God's kingdom. And so some of us live in a place where Many are fed up with church and all that comes with it and and done with God and so that they turn to other gods looking for soul satisfaction. We must offer a clear and lovely alternative. And so that's what it means to be salt and light, to show them there's something better for them than what they have. That this place, this broken world is not the end. This is not the best place to live, the best way to live. It's being salt and light is being something better than what many of us have ever experienced. And some people listening to this podcast are located in a place that is seemingly overwhelmed with salt and light. But that's not true. There's there's still a need for more. You are the salt of the earth and the light of the world.